Let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 10 this morning as we continue in our study through the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 10. And uh, I'm not big on titling my messages, but if I was going to title this message, I'd title it Fear of Commitment. Fear of Commitment. Ladies, you ever dealt with a guy that has a fear of commitment? Men, maybe you have. This is, uh, this is the idea here. As you're making your way there, just by way of introduction, uh, interesting story about commitment. I was uh, in the fire department, and I was training uh, on rappelling. I'd never tra- I never rappelled before. Uh, but now I'm stationed there in Indian Wells, and right literally in our backyard of the, of the fire station was uh, the Stouffer's Esmeralda Resort, the hotel there. It's, uh, it's 11 stories if you count the roof. And, uh, and so we were up on the roof, and we were going to jump off of that thing. And, uh, and so I'd never done it before, so as you might imagine, uh, I was a little trepidatious, a little, little fearful. And, uh, and so, you know, climbing up on that thing, and, and it sounds like a great idea on the ground, you know, and then you get up there, and you're, and you're thinking, that is a long way down. Now, the truth of the story is a four, four stories will kill you, so what the heck? I mean, it, it, when you get up there, it's just, you just have longer to think about it, you know? And so, um, and the roof, the way they've got the roof built, they've got this parapet wall. So if, if jumping off of this building isn't bad enough, you have to climb up even higher to do it. And so, and you're all set up, and you get your gear all on, and you've got what's called this eight plate that sits right in front of you, and the, the rope goes through that, and uh, the friction of the rope going through that eight plate is what slows you down, so you don't plummet to your death, and that uh, goes through that eight plate, and it comes around, and you've got the rope behind your back. And so, you know, you hold that rope, and you, and you have to go off backwards. That's, that's another not-so-pleasant aspect of it. And so you, you finally, you get up there on the top of this thing, and now, there you are, you're standing, and now I've got to lean backwards, okay? And this is four feet, you know, whatever, three feet. I'm, I'm looking at, you know... 100, over 100 feet, you know, well over 100 feet, and I'm looking down just going, this is just not right, you know, just something very wrong about this. Now, as you do that, basically, my success depended on faith. I had to have faith in my gear, I had to have faith in my training, I had to have faith in my crew, I had to have faith in that anchoring system that I was anchored into. There was a lot of things that I had to place my faith in. And ultimately, my faith, for it to become real, it had to be exercised, right? And so not only did I have to place my faith in all of these things, my gear, my, my fellow uh, workers and, and my teammates and, you know, my, my anchoring point, all those things, but my faith had to be exercised by a committed action, right? This is what James talks about in the book of James when he talks about, look, look, faith without works is dead, Okay, and, and so for me to, to take this action, it had to be a, a committed exercise, a committed action that was, that was taken in order for me to exercise this faith. So what I had to do is I had to take what I had learned in the classroom up to the roof with me, and then I had to commit to stepping up onto that parapet and then stepping off into the abyss, Right? And, and so commitment is the key. Commitment is the key to any successful endeavor that you and I will ever commit to. It's true in our academic pursuits. It's true in our athletic pursuits. It's true in our business pursuits. It's true in our relational pursuits. The key between sex, success and failure is commitment. Uh, and, uh, and so commitment is, you know, that's where we put our money where our mouth is. That's where our faith becomes fact is in this area of commitment. 
Maybe you've heard the question, what's the difference between the egg that the chicken provides for breakfast and the bacon that the pig provides for breakfast? Well, the difference is the, the, chicken, the chicken just makes a contribution, but, but the pig makes a commitment for that breakfast uh, provision. And, and as we come now to 1 Samuel chapter 10, the events center around the commissioning of Saul. He is being commissioned as king. And, and, and what we find here is that Saul is chicken. Saul is, is having a real problem, this real fearful idea of committing to God's plan. And so here's what we're going to look at today. This is how this applies to you. We're going to look at how we can trust God and how we can commit ourselves to his plan for our lives. And we're going to look at four things today. We're going to look at God's choosing and commissioning. We're going to look at God's confirmation. We're going to look at, God, at, at Saul's lack of commitment. And we're going to look at the implication of Saul having to be captured and carried into the obedience of, of God's will. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, we read, Then Samuel took a flask of oil, and he poured it on his, Saul's, head, and kissed him, and he said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? Now, if you were with us last week, or the week before last, what you saw there was that Saul, having been, you know, called to really be, be now the king and Samuel telling Saul that he's the guy. And, and, you know, basically Samuel laid all this on Saul and they talked about it. Saul was, you know, doubtful and he's like, who am I? I'm, you know, the, I'm of the, the family of Benjamin. We're the smallest of all the tribes and I'm the least of the, of the, of the family and the whole bit. So he's, he's fearful, he's doubtful and they basically end up staying all night, staying up all night, and Samuel's telling Saul about everything he's got to do and, and, and all. And, and so going into this thing, there's, the, there's, there's already a commitment issue. Um, but uh, the idea here, Samuel takes a flask of oil and he pours it over his head. And here's the idea there. It's a symbol of being anointed by the Holy Spirit. That's what this symbolizes. And if you, if you read the psalmist in Psalm 133, this was a messy deal. They would pour the oil, and, and it speaks of the oil running down over the head, running into the beard, uh, being, you know, dripping onto the clothing, you know, of the person that was anointed. And it's just this symbol of being completely saturated with the power of God's Holy Spirit. The idea is the oil is this symbol of, of what is fact, the, the Holy Spirit being poured out upon your life. And so uh, Samuel is anointing Saul for, uh, for this service and, and all. And, uh, and he says, look, the Lord has anointed you commander over his, in, his inheritance. And first point, if you're taking notes here, Saul was chosen and commissioned according to God's plan. He was, he planned. He was chosen and commissioned according to God's plan. Here's the deal. It wasn't by chance that Saul happened to go into the town on the day that he did in, in 1 Samuel chapter 9. It wasn't by chance that he just happened to be there. It, wasn't, it, it seemed like circumstances that, hey, I'm out looking for these lost donkeys. But, but it wasn't a chance. It was, it, was, it was planned. It was orchestrated by God. It wasn't just a coincidence that Saul ran into Samuel, that he's the first guy that, that he ran into when he went into town, looking specifically for him because his servant had suggested, hey, why don't we go ask Samuel for his help here with our circumstance, never realizing God has something so much bigger that he's cooking up, 
Not, none of this happening by chance. Listen, God arranged it because Saul was chosen and commissioned by God. Listen, in the same way you and I here today, listen, we've been chosen and commissioned by God. And so often we go through our lives and we think that there's this chance or random circumstance or, or some hardship or some, man, I've lost the donkeys, you know, kind of thing. And, and we think, oh, it's, it, here I am by, you know, the fates have put me here or that person and their evil intention has put me here. And we focus on all the wrong things. When really we need to understand wherever we're at, hey, there you are and you're in maybe the opportunity here to recognize, well, God, what are you doing in my life? And so you and I have been chosen and commissioned by God. And maybe one of the questions you might want to cook on in in your head here today and, and after the fact is, gosh, what has God chosen me for? Paul told the Ephesians in in the first chapter of his epistle to the Ephesians that God chose us in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. Listen, it's not by chance that you are here today. It's not by chance that you heard the gospel. It's not by chance that someone told you of God's love and forgiveness. It wasn't sheer luck that you were chosen. God arranged it. Paul, speaking to the Apostle Timothy, he he told him this. He said, uh, God, our Savior, wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. And that phrase, just the right time, it, it means a fixed and a definite time of God's choosing. God has, has called every one of us. And there's a very fixed and definite time of God's choosing. Maybe you're here and, and you don't know if, if you have a relationship, a saving relationship with God or not. Maybe you're here and absolutely you do know. I haven't received Christ as my Lord and Savior. The, the jury's still out. I don't know how I feel about this whole thing. And I'm here because a friend invited me or a family member invited me or what, whatever the case may be. And by the way, sometimes I get emails from people and they're like, you know, my family member tipped you off, huh? Yeah. We got, we got hundreds and hundreds of people in this church. Trust me, nobody's sending me emails, you know, and I'm not spending the hours that I, that I craft my messages. I'm not, I'm not wrapping them around some email that I got from someone. I don't have time to do that. And so as I teach God's Word, and I have people tell me regularly, we had more, a, a gentleman share his testimony yesterday at our men's group. He's going to be sharing his testimony in, on our Thanksgiving service, and, and in his testimony, he's just talking about how God was speaking right to him through the message. And listen, that's God. He's got your address, you know, and, and it doesn't require an email. And maybe you're here today, maybe you're outside of a relationship with, with the Lord, And I would tell you, look, it's not by chance that you're here. It's not by chance that you're hearing the gospel, the word of God. God is providentially moving and working. It's been said that providence is when the hand of God is in the glove of human events. And so God providentially working, and it's not an accident, it's not by chance, it's not by happenstance. Listen, it's at just the right time. The question is, and we responded, That's the question. Because God's timing is perfect and he'll come to you. Maybe he comes to you today, knocking on the door of your heart. Maybe he's telling you, look, things aren't quite right in your life. And God might whisper in your ear, he might whisper in your heart and say, listen, 
You need to pay attention. I'm talking to you. Your life's a train wreck. And you made a series of bad choices and God stands at the door of your heart and he knocks and he says, listen, I offer you today blessings. I offer you today life. Listen, choose that. Because the issue is is that we have to respond. Listen to what Paul told the Romans. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And what I want you to see there is that in that simple sentence, there is a promise, but there's also a provision. The promise that's given, listen, God has the power to save you. Not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of of God to salvation. The word gospel means good news. The good news is this, that we are sinners without hope of eternal life. You say, how is that good news? Because Jesus paid the price for our sin. He died on the cross for our sin in our place. And that he died on that cross, paying that penalty, but he rose again on the third day, conquering sin and death. And you and I can conquer sin and death by placing our faith in the one for who died for our sins and paid the price, paid the penalty. And so that's the promise, but there is a provision. And the provision is is that you have to believe, you have to respond, you have to trust. Listen, you have to commit. There is a a response that, that, hey, listen, it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The question is, do you believe it today? Will you place your faith, will you place your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ? How have you responded? Have you committed yourself entirely to Jesus Christ and his work? And, and listen, you know, the, the thing that I encounter more and more isn't that the person comes in with their arms folded saying, no, I haven't, I haven't made a choice, although there are many who come in that way. What I more often encounter is the person who comes to church and, and they think, I'm a good person, I'm going to heaven. And so I'm talking about, hey, having a relationship with the Lord. And the attitude is, yeah, I do have a relationship with the Lord. I I believe in God. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe in all that. Okay, so how do you know you're going to heaven? And more and more what I hear people telling me is, well, I'm a good person. I'm not Charles Manson. I haven't killed anybody. Great, Great standard, by the way. You know? How do you know that you're going to heaven? Well, I haven't killed anybody. Well, come on in, you know? Why should I hire you today? Well, I haven't killed anybody. You're hired. You're amazing. But more and more, I'm encountering people that basically their testimony is, well, yeah, I believe in all that. So why do you know, why do you know that you're going to heaven? How do you know you're going to heaven? Well, you know, because I'm, I'm a good guy. Yeah, I haven't killed anybody and, and all. And there's this, this subtle attitude that says, well, if my good works outweigh my bad works, you know, then, then I get to go to heaven. Hey, that's not the standard. The standard is, Placing your faith in Christ. Are you trusting in Him and Him alone, His completed work for your salvation? Or are you trusting in anything else? And listen, I would just simply say this, that if that's you, if you're in a place where you go, gosh, He's talking about me, I would say you can settle it today. And I would encourage you, please settle it today. To say, you know what? I'm not going to trust in my good works. Now, your, your, your works, the way you live is important, but it has to come from your saving faith, not for your saving faith. It's a whole different dynamic. None of this is in my notes. And so, 
And so, so the, the, the Lord would say to you today, man, how have you responded? Well, not only have we been chosen and commissioned for salvation, but listen, we've also been chosen and commissioned for service. Again, Paul speaking to the Ephesians, he says, In him, Jesus Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. For we are his workmanship, he goes on to say, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, here's the idea. The idea is that God has a unique and he has a specific calling on your life and he has a a purpose for which you are responsible. There is is something that God has entrusted to you, a calling and a purpose, and you're going to give an account to him. And I want you to notice here that in that uh, Ephesians 1.11 that that Paul uses this word inheritance. Inheritance. To, to refer to this commissioned responsibility that you and I have. And so does Samuel here in, in, in chapter 10, verse 1. The Lord has anointed you, Samuel says to Saul after he pours the anointing oil on him, uh, commander over, listen, his inheritance. Samuel, or Saul, Samuel would say, listen, God's anointed you to, to be the ruler over, over God's inheritance. To, he's entrusted this responsibility to you. We, we hear the same idea and the same theme of this conveyed in the New Testament parable that Jesus told about the parable of the talents. Where basically you've got this owner who entrusts his goods to his servants, to, his, to, 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 to the people that, that, that are responsible for his stuff, stewards. And so to one guy he gives five talents, and to another he gives two talents, and to another he gives one talent, and he says, listen, I'm entrusting this to you, and I want you to take good care of it. And of course, we know that two of the stewards were faithful, and one of them wasn't faithful. And if you remember the parable of the talents, what, what was the, the issue? If you, can, if you can think of it in one word, what was the issue that caused the man to be unfaithful with his talent and to bury it? Fear. He was afraid. That's the issue. He was, he was fearful. He was afraid. And this seems to be exactly what, what Saul is struggling with here. For Samuel chapter 10, continuing in verse 2, when you have departed, now Samuel says, look, you're anointed. And now here's his next words. When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying for you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Now, you know, the thing is, is that Saul, if you remember in the previous chapter when Samuel told him, you're the dude, man. You're the one that Israel has been crying for. You're going to be the king. And he expressed doubt. He he expressed fear. And there's a reason Saul stayed up with him all night talking to him. There's a reason why Saul continues to, or rather Samuel stayed up all night talking to to, to Saul. There's a reason why Samuel continues to, to reiterate, look, this is God's call. There's a reason why he told him, hey, send your servant on ahead. Let me talk to you. Why? Well, because there's, there seems to be some, some fear percolating there, some doubt percolating there. And so he's telling him, look, hey, this is what's going to happen. So he tells him about these donkeys. 
Verse 3, and then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor, and there three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine, and they will greet you and they will give you two loaves of bread which you shall receive from their hands. Very specific things. He's telling them, you're going to see these things. Why is he being so specific? Telling them what's going to come to pass? He wants to allay his fears. You know, he's, he's basically just saying, look, I know you're fearful. I know you're doubtful. Hey, look, I'm, gonna, I'm, just, I'm giving you some information here. My hope is you'll be bolstered. You'll be strengthened here by these things. He gets even more specific. He says, um, Verse 5, after that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp. How specific is that? You know, I think of, you know, these psychics. It's like, oh, somebody here, uh, I, I'm, th- I'm thinking that, you know, and they come up with these random, you know, things. Uh, your, uh, let me pick you, sir. Uh, your name begins with an M. My name is Sam. Mr. Sam? Is that, you know, and they just, but this, here, this guy's being all very specific. Um, and, uh, and he says, uh, They'll come with a flute and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. Uh, The idea is they're going to be worshiping. Uh, We think of prophesying as the foretelling of the future. It's not always just in that category. It's the proclaiming the goodness of God, worshiping God. And then the Spirit of the Lord, he says, verse 6, will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be turned into another man. Interesting thing. What this means is that he'll he'll be a man that's led by the Holy Spirit and not by the flesh. That's what this means, which which is a a sad implication of Saul, really, because he says, this this doesn't typify you. You're going to be turned into a man who's filled with the Holy Spirit, and so the the clear implication is he's, he's never been a man filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we hear about this, you know, being turned into another man, being filled with the Holy Spirit, automatically we think New Testament regeneration. That's not what this is talking about. This isn't, this isn't talking about how, you know, the New Testament teaches that when we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes to abide in us and live in us forever. This is not the dynamic that's going on here. In the Old Testament, what would happen is the Holy Spirit, God could give the Holy Spirit to men and he could also take it away. And so what's being, what's being professed here is, look, you're going to be turned into another man. He don't, don't be misunderstanding here that God's saying, you're going to get saved, Saul. He's not saying that. He's saying, I'm going to, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And you're going to be empowered. You're going, to, you're going to have this power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon you. And, and verse 7, he says, and let it be when these signs come to you, that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. In other words, look, you're going to get all of these signs to encourage you and let it do that. Let it encourage you to trust in me, to follow me, to serve me. Verse 8, you shall go down before me to Gilgal and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. Now there's a test here for Saul. 
You've got to wait for me seven days and I'm going to come to you. And the implication is and then you're going to be there and you're going to obediently respond. And Saul is going to fail that test. And so it was, verse 9, when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, that God gave him another heart. Again, don't think salvation. What he gave him, Saul, he was, he was, he was a fearful man. He wasn't acting like a leader. This is the idea that God's going to give him a heart of a leader. And, and that he's going to replace his fearful heart with a strengthened one. So long as he trusts in the Lord and is following obediently the Lord. And is given the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the idea. But we're going to see that this doesn't last. And so he gives him another heart. And, and it's interesting. He gives it when he turns his back from Samuel. That is so the way that it should be. Because, you know, if he gets this facing Samuel, what, what's the risk there? The risk there is he says, he translates it, oh, I got this from Samuel. No, you didn't get this from Samuel, you got this from God. And so God, God waits, he turns his, his back to go from Samuel, and that's when the Lord gives him this other heart. And, and it says then, then uh, and all those signs came to pass that day. Now, we don't get the details of all the signs being fulfilled. He tells us that they were. But now he goes on to start telling us about the details of one of those signs being fulfilled. Verse 10 says, When they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. And then the Spirit of God came upon him, and he, speaking of Saul, prophesied uh, among them. In other words, again, an expression of praise and worship. And it happened, verse 11, when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets that the people said to one another, What is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Again, probably the first time this has ever happened in his life. They're like, who's this guy? When he get religion kind of deal, you know? And, And then verse 12, a man from there answered and he said, But who is their father? Couple of, couple of things on this. I mean, basically, he's like, well, you're, you're like, is this son of Kish? This is Saul? Is he among the prophets? And, and basically, this man would say, well, where, who's the fathers of all these other prophets? I mean, their fathers are nothing special. And in addition, basically, the idea here is, look, these other prophets, they prophesy. Why? Well, because God, God, hey, the, this, the, their father, God, he, he does these things. He, he's the one that empowers them to do these things. That's where the power comes from. The power comes from the Father. And so, so that's what this guy is saying. He's saying, who? they're nothing special. It's God. And so if, if Saul's doing it, it's not because Saul's special. It's because the Father is doing this work in him. Therefore, verse 12 goes on to say, it became a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? That seems kind of weird, doesn't it? This would be a proverb that people would speak. Is Saul also among the prophets? Here's the idea. Basically, if, if, if you're doing something and people go, oh, you can't do that. You can't serve God. And then the person would say, Saul did. If Saul can do it, I can do it. That's the idea. That's the proverb that was being uttered here. You got to be clear on that. Look, if God can make Saul prophesy, then he can make me prophesy. That's, that's, that's what's being conveyed here. Verse 13. And when... He had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. Now, second point, 
Saul was confirmed in God's plan. He was confirmed in God's plan. Not only was he chosen and commissioned according to God's plan, but he was confirmed in God's plan. See, because here what happens is we see Saul given several signs that serve to confirm in him, hey, this is God's calling upon your life. And, and so, you know, the first sign, look, your lost donkeys, they're going to be found. And here what God is doing, he's given him this sign, not just to confirm, hey, look, this is the real deal, you've got to trust me, but, but it's even beyond that. He's, ba- he's basically giving a sign to this new king that, listen, God can solve your problems. You need to know that God can solve your problems. you got a problem, your donkeys are lost. Look, God can solve your problems. Look to him to solve your problems. Don't look to yourself, Saul. See, this is going to, and you're going to see as we continue here in 1 Samuel, this is one of Saul's big problems, is that Saul has a tendency of taking matters into his own hands. Saul has a tendency of being the guy that is going to be the engineer to solve all of his problems. And it's not so far of a stretch to figure it out. I mean, you know, here you've got a guy, stands head and shoulders above the rest. You know, he's, he's got a lot of, you know, wonderful, he's endowed with a lot of gifting. You know, he's the most handsome man in town. That's got to come in handy. You know, you're there at the bank and you get, you get this overdraft and you're kind of like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. You know, and here's this little gal and you're like, oh, you know, gosh, can, can, you, can you just help me out? And you put on the charm, kind of put on the smile. You know, here's a guy who maybe is natural endowments, helps him to sort of engineer the solution to a lot of his problems. And so God's telling him, look, 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 if you're going to be the king, you can't be the guy that's going to engineer the solution to your problems. You got to learn that, that, that God solves your problems. It's a healthy lesson for us too, isn't it? I'm at the front of that line. I have a tendency to be the guy that, that I'm going to engineer the solution. I'm going to, you know, be the control freak. Control freaks unite, man. That's the issue right here, you know. And, and so this, Samuel's saying, look, you're going to get this sign, and this is a sign for you, future king. Don't be control freak. God solves your problems. Now, verses 3 and 4, he gives him the other signs. He says, look... God's going to provide goats, he's going to provide wine, he's going to provide bread. Look, these are all elements that, that you know, not only do you need to sustain, but, but these, are, these are things that he's going to need to, to worship the Lord with. Here's the idea, he's saying, hey, listen, future king, not only do you have to trust God to solve your problems, but you've got to trust God to supply your needs. God's going to be the, the, the one that supplies all of your needs. And again, that's something else that's going to cause us sometimes to go to that engineering of, you know, what am I going to do or to be fearful or to be doubtful. Some of you are in that place here this morning. You're thinking, man, I got more month than money. What am I going to do? And listen, God's going to supply your needs. And we can trust in him for that. And this other sign that that the the Lord gives to him in verses 5 and 6, Samuel says, hey, listen, you're going to prophesy. Listen, here's the sign. God alone supplies power for service. And that's important. You've got to understand, you will prophesy, but you've never done it before. And you ain't got the opportunity to do that in your own strength, buddy. Listen, God supplies that. And so these lessons, God's teaching, Saul, listen, I want to confirm all of these things. I'm going to do all of these, these things to, to help you understand that, listen, this comes from God. And, and what, really what's happening here in his giving all of these signs not just the equipping him for the future, like, hey, look, if you're going to king, be a king, this is how you got to live. But he's addressing right here and now what Saul's dealing with. Because Saul is a big scaredy cat. He's a big chicken. And so what he's doing is he's, he's saying, listen, God, 
God, I'm going to answer all of your doubts and all of your fears. I'm going to give you all of these signs. And so the doubts that he openly expresses in the previous chapter in verse 21 and the, the staying up all night talking on the roof, no doubt his doubts there. Samuel reiterating Samuel, Saul's call over and over again because no doubt Saul is fearful. And now him giving all of these detailed prophecies, all of them to allay Saul's fears. And we know exactly that's what's going on with him because we're going to see in just a few verses that Saul is going to run and hide. And so he's trying to tell him, look, don't run and hide. You, you have to trust. Look, God's confirming his, his, his plan in your life. Not, not only has he chosen and commissioned you, but he's going to confirm it, man. There's a pretty cool story that uh, Johnny Erickson Tata writes about in one of her books. Johnny Erickson Tata is a gal that was, um, she was crippled at a, at a young age, um, uh, quadriplegic, and um, she went on to establish a, a ministry, um, and, her, and her ministry helps people with disabilities. She writes a lot of books, a really an amazing woman. And in one of her books, she's telling a story about a, a summer camp that they would put on in their ministry. And in the summer camp, what would happen is they would bring in these, these, these kids and even teenagers with severe disabilities, and, and the purpose of the camp was to care for them and to give their caretakers a break, and, and they would minister separately to their, their caretakers so that they could just get a time of refreshment and so on. And so um, they had this intern, this gal that they recently brought on staff with them. Her name was Becky. She was a recent college graduate. She would just gotten her degree in special education, and this was her first day on the job. And so there they are at camp, and they're taking everybody in, and it's this big, long, overwhelming, exhausting day. And then towards the end of it, they bring in this young man, and he has severe autism. And, and so he's, he's dealing with these incredible, what they call a, a severe explosion disorder, where he just would go off, and it took four volunteers, they had to assign four staff members to this one kid just to take care of him. And so this gal, Becky, she's seeing all this, and she comes in tears to, to, to Johnny Erickson, or Johnny Erickson Tata, and she, she says to her, um, I can't do this. I mean, I just, I, the, the level of brokenness is beyond anything that I ever imagined I did. I just can't do it. And uh, Johnny took her to 1 Thessalonians 5.24, which says, He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. And here's what she said to young Becky. She said, listen, this means that God's calling on your life is your enabling. If God's called you to it, he's going to enable you to do it. And then she went on to talk to her about all the things that God had done, all the signs in her life that God had done to confirm her calling. She said, she talked to Becky, she said, listen, God solved your problems with your classes, with your schedules, he he solved your problems through school, God supplied your needs while you were going to school, he he got you through college, your your college tuition, the money you needed for books, you know, your transportation needs, he, he supplied, when you were having difficulties in your classes, he provided tutors for you at just the right time, and, and when you thought, man, I, there's no way that I'm going to pass this class, God helped you to pass the class, he helped you to pass the tests, you have your degree today, and, and all of those are signs, Becky, that God's called you to do this. And, and so she said, listen, if God called you into special ed, and he so obviously confirmed that calling through all of his provisions, then he'll resource you in that calling, and he'll enable you in that calling. 
Here's my question for you today as you hear this and as we take all this in. Some of you right now, you're facing scary decisions. You're, you're processing through some stuff. And I would just ask you this. How is God confirming His plan in your life? What, what are the things that God has done to, to confirm His plan in your life? Well, back here as we look at, at Samuel the, and or look at Saul and for Samuel, the idea Saul was chosen and commissioned according to God's plan. He was confirmed in God's plan, but doggone it. Third point, Saul wasn't fully committed to God's plan. Verse 14. And then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, where did you go? And so he's talking to Saul, and he said, uh, to look for the donkeys. And when we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me, please, what Samuel said to you. Now, this, Samuel's renowned. And he's like, whoa, you went to talk to Samuel? I want to hear this. What do you have to say to you? Verse 16, so Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. That is amazing. Keep this in perspective. God told told Saul through through the prophet Samuel that Saul was going to be the king over all of Israel. Don't you think you might want to tell one or two people about that, right? I mean, when you, I mean, if you were, if all of a sudden today you found out you're going to be the president of the United States, you'd be like, "There's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> Things are going to change," you know. And you would talk about. And, and so the, the, the issue here is that Saul doesn't say anything, and this is a glaring omission. This is a big old warning Will Robinson flashing light kind of deal. Man, what's, what's up with that? Verse 17, then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the children of Israel, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought out of Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptian and from the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. This is a recurring theme in the Bible. Hey, I brought you up. I took care of you. I'm the one that you, that ought to be you ought to be looking to as your king. But you have today rejected your God, who himself saved you from all of your adversaries. And your tribulations, and you have said to him, No, set a king over us. And now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by uh, your clans. And when Samuel had caused all of the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Now, he's already anointed Saul. What's going on here? Well, what Samuel is doing here, not only is he giving the Lord an opportunity just to confirm yet again that Saul is his choice, but he's demonstrating to Israel that Saul is his choice. Because we're going to see some, there some, even then there's going to be some dissenters. There's always some dissenters. There's always some mocking. There's always some with you know, their own opinion on things. And so he's, he's telling them, look, this is a work of God kind of deal. And so what, what he would do, they would use the, what's called the, the umen and the thumen. And we don't really exactly know what these are, but, but basically some uh, theorize that the umen and thumen, there were these two stones that, that the priest would keep. One would be black, one would be white. And so perhaps in this situation, they would bring the tribes up. They would bring two tribes and they'd say, okay, this is your stone. And they pull it out. Oh, it's the black one. God hasn't chosen you. It's the white one. God has chosen you. 
We don't know exactly, but that's probably what's going on here. This is the, throughout the Old Testament. This is what they would do to discern the Lord's calling. And so they brought up the, the tribes by their clans. And, and when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel, verse, verse 20, to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Wow. What's up with that, Saul? Verse 22, therefore they inquired of the Lord further, has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, there he is, hidden among the equipment. Here's what this means, he was hiding from God. That's what's going on here. He's right over there, God says, he's trying to hide from me. See, Saul wasn't fully committed to, this, to God's plan. God had called him to this, he'd commissioned him to this, he confirmed his calling for Saul, but Saul isn't committed to God's plan. And it's interesting, again, why wasn't God committed to Saul's plan? Well, you know, certainly a lot of possibilities. Most likely, he's still struggling with doubt and fear, which is amazing to me, by the way. I mean, God confirms it so clearly, and then I think about my own life, and I think about your lives, where God confirms things over and over. I mean, his word couldn't be any more clear. And, and yet, there's times when we just, we, we got to walk by faith, Am I going to walk by sight? And, I, and nine times out of ten, I'm going to go, oh, I'll choose sight, you know. And so Saul's not so much different from us. But, you know, hey, he's, he's still struggling with doubt, still struggling with fear. But here's another real possibility of why Saul was hiding out, why Saul wasn't committed to God's plan. It, couldn't, it could be, and probably is, that he was fearful and afraid. But it can also be he just didn't want to. And I don't think so. I got other plans. That, that just sounds like a lot of work, you know, to be a king of Israel. I, you know, I, I, got, I got stuff I'd rather do. And, and we understand this too, don't we? I mean, there's times in our lives where, you know, God's plans cramp our style. And we're like, I don't want to do that. I don't feel like reading my Bible today. I, I don't feel like sharing my faith. I don't feel like praying. I, I don't feel like tithing. I don't feel like serving. So I don't. God's like, I got a plan for you, and there you're AWOL, and I see you hiding over there. Are you hiding today? You picked a peculiar place to do it, by the way, if you are. <laughs> but, you know, it could just be that, that he just flat didn't want to. We were talking with the guys at the men's study yesterday. We we're talking about this issue of volitional love versus conditional love in our marriages. How God's called us to, to love our wives with a volitional love. In other words, we, we, don't, we don't just let our feelings dictate what we do in our marriages, but we choose, make a choice to love our wives, as God himself has made a choice to love us. The word that's used is agape. It means an unconditional love. It means an act of the will. It means a volitional choice. Hey, I, I'm going to love you. We talked about this needfulness. And so it could be doubt with Saul. It could be fear. It could be that Saul just didn't want to. Whatever the case, Saul hid. I'm reminded of another guy that hid. And that there's lots of examples in the Bible of men that hid. Jonah comes to my mind. And, it, and it's a great picture. I mean, you think about Jonah there in chapter 1, and God wants him to go to Nineveh, and he, and he jumps on a ship going the opposite direction. And I mean, how many times do we do this? But it's interesting. He, he's ultimately he's going to Nineveh, but the first ship that he jumps on is going to Joppa. And you know what the name Joppa actually means? means beautiful or comely. 
And, and here's the significance of that. A lot of times we, think, we don't think what God's called us to is very beautiful, and we choose option B because we're like, that's more beautiful. I choose that. That's beautiful. That's comely. That's attractive to me. And so God wants me to do this thing, and I know I run. I run the opposite direction. Jonah's like, I got something better in mind. As a family, we used to go down to, uh, to the L.A. Mission to, to feed the homeless down there. It was something that we did as a family. We do it at, at Thanksgiving or Christmas time. And uh, we, got, we got exposed to this because, you know, Scotty was in the entertainment industry and his publicist called up and said, hey, they're looking for people, actors and, and, you know, and all, to come serve food. It's a photo op. They wanted to get the press out there so that they could get support for the ministry that they're doing. It's a great ministry that they're doing. And most of the people that go down there, they're just going down there for the press. And there was this one guy, a famous you know, politician. I won't tell you who he is, but his name rhymes with Gray Davis. And he showed up, and, um, and he just gets there, and he's there for, for literally about two minutes. He comes pulling up in his limo. He goes over, and he's serving, and they, get, they, they wait. They get everybody positioned, and then there he is, puts his arm around everybody, for the photo op of him serving, and then he's like, you done? Y'all got your show? Okay. Takes his stuff off, walks away. He, he didn't feed the homeless. He was there for a photo op. And a lot of times, you know, for us, God's like, look, I, want, I got a plan for you, and I, and I want you to be committed to the plan, and we're like, eh, not so much. I'll go for the photo op, but I really don't have a t- intention to, to do this. So this is Saul, and he's hiding from God. And, and, and so here's what I want you to get. No matter the reason, here's the result. Saul was taking direction from his feelings, not from faith. Are you? Today, do you take your directions from your feelings? Or do you take your directions from faith? What characterizes you? What drives you? How do you make your decisions? Listen, Paul said this to the Galatians. He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And that's the issue here, by the way. Saul, he can walk in the spirit, but he's hiding, fulfilling the lust of the flesh. For the flesh, lust against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. And so Saul was chosen and commissioned according to God's plan. He was confirmed in God's plan. He wasn't fully committed to God's plan. And so my fourth and final point, Saul had to be carried into God's plan, verse 23. So they, they ran and they brought him from there, and when they, they stood, when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. Uh, and Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him uh, whom the Lord has chosen, that there is no one like him among all the people? This is probably some sarcasm on Samuel's part. Look, oh, he's awesome. Isn't he great? You know, this is the guy you chose, and, and, all. and <clears throat> he says, um, so all the people shouted, and they said, long live the king. And then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty. This goes back to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Remember what he told the people when they wanted to choose a king. He said, hey, be warned, kings are takers. 
They're going to take your kids. They're going to take your money. They're going to take your first of your crops. And he goes a whole litany of lists. Look, you guys are looking for a king. God's your king. He's been very good to you, but you want to go with what you can see and what you can trust in. So you're going to choose, you know, a fleshly king, and it's going to cost you. And so he explains to them the behavior of royalty. Just remind them, look, I just want to warn you again, this is what you just chose. And he wrote it in a book. Now, we don't know exactly what book he wrote it in. A lot of people believe it was this book, First, first and Second Samuel. That that's the book he wrote it in. It's likely that that's what it was. Or it could have been another book um, that's not preserved in the canon of Scripture. But he, anyway, he wrote it all in a book. And he laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah. And valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. That's an amazing thing. I mean, I could do just an entire men's retreat on that single verse, just the importance of, of having godly men whose hearts God has touched. You can change the world with godly men whose hearts God has touched. And so this man, it, it, even though the people have chosen him and they've rejected God, God is giving them everything they need for success. I mean, good grief. He's abundantly blessed and, and endowed Saul with these amazing gifts. And now here on top of it, he gives them these valiant men whose hearts God had touched, who could change the world. But some rebels said, and there's always some in the crowd, some rebels said, how can this man save us? And so they despised him, and they brought him no presents, but he held his peace. All right? So, fourth and final point, Saul had to be carried into God's plan. And you notice there, it says uh, in verse 23, they, they ran and they brought him. And that word brought is very interesting. It means literally captured and carried off. They captured him and they carried him off. Listen, here's the point. You cannot run from God's will. You can run, but you can't hide. And God will say, he's hiding over there among all the stuff. Noah learned that lesson the hard way, right? He tried, or not uh, Noah, but uh, um, I just talked about him. Help me out here. Jonah. Jonah learned that, that lesson the hard way, clearly. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar learned that lesson the hard way. Remember when we were going through the book of Daniel just a few months ago? King Nebuchadnezzar, man, he, he learns that God's will and his purposes are sovereign. Listen, here's what he said. He said, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He, God, the sovereign God, does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? God had chosen Saul. And we see that in verse 24. It says very clearly that, that, that do you see him, Samuel says, whom the Lord has chosen. And now this is the thing, and we got to get this. They're bound and determined that they want a king to rule over them. God says, you want one? I'm going to give him to you. But, but God is going to work sovereignly through this. So, so Saul is God's choice. God has a plan and a purpose for Saul. And you say, well, wait a minute. Saul didn't want to do it. What about free choice? What about free will? Look, Saul's going to have his opportunity to exercise his free will. But listen, what is God guilty of right here? Is he, is he guilty of forcing a man to do something against his will? No. Listen, here, and you've got to hear this point because this is key. What God's guilty of here is gifting Saul in amazing ways, gifting him with amazing gifts, gifting him with, with godly men 
whose hearts are for God. You can change the world with that setup. God has given Saul everything that he needs to succeed, and he's giving him an opportunity. Look, Saul, if your heart's going to be all fully given over towards me, and if you're going to obey and conform to my plan, I will bless you. I will bless your kingdom. It will be amazing. And listen, Saul's not unlike us. God, in your life, has blessed you abundantly. He's blessed you amazingly. For Saul, strong body, humble mind, new heart, spiritual power, loyal friends, prayerful support of of the prophet Samuel. I mean, he's got a stacked deck to honor God. And in spite of all these advantages, we see him here vacillating back and forth. He's prophesying in the power of the Holy Spirit one moment. He's hiding in the equipment the next. Ultimately, he's going to fail miserably. Why? Because he wouldn't allow God to be the Lord of his life. Listen, when, <clears throat> when I was up rappelling and I'm standing on that roof, man, when I was up there and I'm trying to go and I could not, I couldn't go. I finally, I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to go, but I'm standing there and I'm stuck and I'm pushing and I'm pushing and I'm pushing. And the guys are yelling at me, let go of the rope, loosen your grip on the rope. What had happened is, you, you know, the way you go is by letting the rope feed through that eight plate, you know, that's how you go down. I got a death grip on this thing, man. Because I'm staring at my death, you know, and, I've, and you, pull, you hold it tight, you pull it strong in your back, you're not going anywhere. And this is, this is what's going on here. And it wasn't until I loosened my grip on the rope a little bit. That's, that's when I was able to go. And that's the issue here. God's stacked the deck and given Saul everything he needs, but he's got a death grip on the rope. Here's my closing point of illustration. Listen, you're either going to trust in yourself or you're going to trust in God. You're either going to loosen that grip on the rope or you're stuck and you ain't going anywhere. Three questions I'd like you to write down as we close. Number one, what has God chosen and commissioned you to? These are takeaways, things for you to take a walk with this week. What has God chosen and committed, commissioned you to do? <clears throat> Second question, and we'll leave these up. How... How has God confirmed that to you? Has he confirmed his, his, his calling and commission? And, and third and final question for you to take a walk with this week. Will you be committed to his plan? God has a plan. Are you going to be committed to it or are you going to hide from it?